Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Hello, all you beautiful souls. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. The families are often left out. And that is why I'm so pleased to have Steve Critchley on the show today with Can Praxis, who never leaves out the families. It's all about the families at Can Praxis. Uh, Steve, thanks for ma- for making the time, man. I appreciate it. Well, thanks very much for the invite. Uh, I've been following this podcast for quite a while, and uh, very pleased to see how far you've come with it. Well done. Oh, thanks, brother. Well, let's uh, start about how long is Can Praxis? been around it's certainly you've done a fantastic job of making a name of it uh i mean it's very very well known that it's there as a resource it's just not very well known of what equine assisted therapy is or or how it helps but when did it start well uh this will make our 10th year we uh ran our first programs in 2013 and we've been going strong ever since, uh, despite the challenges within the last few years uh, that I'm sure most everyone is aware of. Uh, we've been moving forward, building our team, adding therapists and facilitators to the roster, and just prepare, preparing an environment where it's easier for families to come join us on our programs. Well, that's fantastic. So when you decided to start this, like what was your first introduction to equine assisted therapy? Like where did you first hear about it or get exposed to it yourself? Well, as a a Strathcona, uh, we always had horses in our regiment and it was something that I always tried to get into was the uh, ceremonial riding troop. Uh, And it seems every time I applied to go to the riding troop, I was either sent back to recce squadron or to RHQ. So I never did get my horse time in uh, uniform. However, when I did retire, a few years after retiring, we had the opportunity to pick up a couple horses, moved forward from there, uh, jumped forward five, six years, and the realization that horses are pretty good at reading body language, etc., Uh, understanding that uh, PTSD was becoming something much better understood and the realization that horses, PTSD, there's a good mix there. Uh, The military spent uh, a crazy amount of money on me, teaching me how to put programs together, logistics, admin, all that good stuff. So it just seemed to make sense to take the horses, PTSD, understanding members serving and retired or dealing with challenges so let's just put it all together and hence can praxis was born took a couple of years a lot of doors being slammed in our face <laughs> uh and and that wasn't fun uh but the understanding was our people deserve 
uh, realistic hope and opportunities to overcome an OSI. So screw that. The motto of the Strathconas is perseverance, and uh, that's what kept it going. And eventually we were able to run our first programs in 2013. A big part of the show, Steve, is to find a better mousetrap because going through the meat grinder of conventional talk therapy, that ain't for everybody. I mean, I'm glad I did it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it was a five-year meat grinder, and I just thought, there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a better way. turned out, uh, in hindsight, a lot of it was just I didn't have a great therapist at the OSI clinic. So uh, that was just luck of the draw. But you get what you get, and you don't get upset was my attitude, and I just uh, soldiered forth. But of the modalities that work. Uh, equine assisted therapy seems to be way up there. Uh, for several people, they say it's the first bit of hope that they've ever had. And that's one of the things that uh, you see on your website, hope renewed and lives restored. So uh, tell me about that, m- that aha moment that people have. What is it about working with horses that is healing and how does that work? Well, actually, uh, the 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 uh, therapist world, as it were, or the, the the folks that are working with individuals with mental health, uh, operational stress injuries, and such, are slowly coming to the realization that cognitive behavioral therapy, on its own, is not enough. Cognitive behavioral therapy is basically your talk therapy. Um, that on its own isn't usually enough to help people move forward. There has to be something more uh, in-depth, something that also is using some neuroscience, something that is using experiential learning, something that provides uh, non-judgmental instant feedback. And it's with that that we looked at horses and said, okay, what's going on here? Uh, For example, one of our facilitators, Dr. Brenda Abbey, who's been working with uh, equine therapy and troubled youth for a couple of decades, her studies have proven that the human brain around horses produces dopamine. Dopamine being that natural feel-good chemical that, that everyone has the ability to experience. Well, being with horses, when you get that dopamine going, what that's doing is that's taking the primitive part of the brain and reconnecting it with the higher functioning part of the brain, and you're operating as a whole in that moment. Uh, we use that to sneak in a little door, plant some seeds of education, and sneak out. So with that, I came to understand that there's a big difference between horses and dogs. People say, oh, yeah, I've got a dog. It's the same. Not quite. Uh, the brutal truth is, If a dog loves you, you can kick it, beat it, stomp it. It will always crawl back to you. A horse, like a relationship, will eventually tell you to take a hike. So this, this stuff we talk about loyalty in people, it doesn't really exist. Uh, there's no real such thing as loyalty. Every relationship is built on trust and respect. And that's how horses operate. They're a very social animal. Uh, every relationship they have is built on trust and respect. So if you see a horse, uh, a horse is there uh, like people. They need that social connection. They thrive. They need, they depend on social interaction. So if you see a horse out in the field all day, every day, all by itself, that's actually punishment. That's like solitary confinement. So our folks that are that are suffering 
uh, the black dog, the depression, hiding out in basements. They understand that. Uh, the other thing is horses are experts at reading body language. Um, you don't see horses hanging around the water trough talking about the latest premier this province may or may not have, etc. Um, the horses read for survival, the environment around them, how uh, people look, how other animals are approaching them, etc. And because of that, uh, they can read our body language and without prejudice, look at us and see, are you someone I can trust? Are you someone I can respect? And once you build that relationship, uh, it's quite incredible how much a horse will work with you. They'll give you the chance to screw up time and time again. And if to the horse's mind, if you're making an attempt to do the best you can in a non-judgmental, threatening way, they'll bend over backwards to try and help you. So they make a great uh, teaching partner. Well, what is it that the person who's going through it is is learning through all this feedback? I mean, I have the answer, but I want to hear it from, from you because I've experienced it. I had the great um, privilege and honor of, go- of going through the program with Jessica Vanderhoek. So I haven't been to can practice yet, but it's certainly on the list. But um, I, I've had the experience, and I know how it helped me heal and what it did for me as far as self-awareness and mindfulness. But uh, for the listeners, how you've explained the relationship to, to a degree with, uh, with the horse, but how does that facilitate and translate into healing for, for the soldier or the first responder? There, there's a lot of different things happening at the same time when working with the horse. Um, part of this is understanding pressure and release. When, when you talk about pressure and release, you can refer that back to in your own life, um, reacting and responding. Reacting is emotional. And often individuals with an operational stress injury do not understand for themselves how often emotion is driving their forward momentum and and how quickly that can escalate into a conflict while having a conversation with someone that's very important to them. The other thing about horses is the release. That is, knowing when to back off, when the horse is uncomfortable, when you're putting too much pressure on someone. And if you understand that release is closer to something like responding to a situation, responding to what's going on around you is using logic. And working with the horses helps you understand, am I in logic uh, mode, Is am I in logic brain, or am I in emotional brain? And when you have a 1,200-pound animal move through some of these exercises with you, it can be quite, quite uh, impactful. For example, if you have someone who is not aware of how their body language comes across as very uh, demonstrative, you're always in charge, you're always making stuff happen, you're very direct, Uh, the horse is going to back up uh, and not so much be uh, comfortable around you. In other words, if you approach a horse with a dickhead attitude, it'll let you know you're a dickhead. Uh, 
if you're someone who's suffering agoraphobia, for example, uh, unable to leave the house, very uh, uh, uncomfortable around other people, lacking self-confidence. If, if you're working with a 1,200-pound animal and, and it goes well, this animal and you perform a very simple exercise together, that starts adding some self-confidence. More self-confidence adds uh, pride. Pride brings in self-esteem. People with great self-esteem are not killing themselves. We need to help our people find their inner selves in a way that helps them bring their confidence forward so that they're able to understand not every situation has to be approached exactly the same way. Horses give you that uninhibited feedback. Once again, if you're being a dickhead, it'll let you know you're being a dickhead. If you're someone that uh, is working on self-confidence, they'll show you where you need to build up some of your own confidence in a gentle way. So connecting with this animal who just wants to be with you is incredible. It provides so many opportunities for self-learning and to recognize that perhaps there's more to this relationship stuff than just being the dickhead. Does that make sense for you? It does. Uh, I'd like to add to it a little bit. In every modality of therapy, whether it be psychedelics, equine, uh, CBT, EMDR, the big chunk of it is self-awareness, is realizing, oh, maybe I'm the asshole here. (laughs) That's usually the big aha moment uh, that uh, people have and they realize, oh, I'm creating a blast radius here. Uh, uh, My reactions, instead of responding, the fact that I'm reacting instead of responding is causing harm to others. Um, Because most people are just not aware of it. Yet working with the horses, that feedback, as you had said, it gives you a mirror to look into so that you see the level of your energy because it's reflected by the horse. And then you suddenly realize, oh, I thought I was being kind of chill, but I'm not. I'm being super intense right now because they react to your energy. So that instant feedback. When we had um, uh, our horses in the in the round pen, and I hesitate to say this to the audience because unless you've seen it, you won't believe it. You just won't. Um, using the Jedi uh, powers, using your energy, not touching the horse, just using your energy, you can control, um, or rather the horse will respond to your level of energy with speed. So just by projecting your energy, that horse can um, be either at a walk all the way to a gallop and everything in between, and you can feel it, uh, uh, the the energy that you're putting out, and you see the instant response on the horse in the round pen. Um, when I experienced that, it was it was unbelievable watching the horse react directly to that energy level that I was putting out, but it was happening. Or making the um, the energetic link to the horse and. Anywhere that you walk within the round pen, doing figure eights, whatever, that horse, if you've made a good connection, follows you. And no lead, no rope, they just follow you if you've made a good connection. And it's that sort of feedback that, for me anyway, was the biggest takeaway. It was the the awareness that, oh... Uh, when I think I'm just being a five, I'm actually being a 10. <laughs> and um, 
So throttle it back a little bit, dial it down. I'm being a lot more intense than I think I am. And that self-awareness translates to all of your relationships. Because when you, if you're the guy that's looking at your family going, what's the big deal? What's your problem? How come you're having such a big reaction to me? It's because, it's because you're putting out, uh, you're, you're seeing the energy reflected back to you that um, you are actually the person who's being over the top and you don't think you're being over the top. Because if it's, um, if you're just used to soldiers being around soldiers and that's your, that's your, um, your true north, well, that's not like the rest of the world. We have a different energy level. We're just, we're different types of people. So re- being able to dial that down for the rest of the planet is, uh, was my big takeaway with horses. And with that, Mark, it's, it's understanding we're using horses for scientific reasons, not for cute, cuddly reasons. Um, right. And the other thing to remember is that when you attend Canpraxis, you attend with your spouse or partner or, or family member, the person that uh, in the middle of a, a mental health crisis, uh, when the feces is hitting the rotating oscillator at force 10, <laughs> who is it that you turn to? And that person attends on the program with you. And so what we're trying to do is on these programs, besides the education aspect of it as well, is we're trying to help all our participants get to a place mentally, physically, and emotionally where the horse looks at them and says, you know what? You're worth the effort to relearn how to trust. You're worth the effort to relearn how to respect. And that horse, as you were mentioning, that horse on its own, without a lead, without a rope, will go up to that person and connect with them. And if a horse can do that, there's every opportunity for a relationship as well. And that's why on our programs, uh, you don't get just one horse to work with. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, You have to do all these exercises with different horses. And the reason for that is people have different personalities. And one approach doesn't work for every situation. You have to remember, your family are not the troops. They don't deserve to be treated like the troops. And that's why when you do an exercise, you'll do it with several different horses this is so you can understand that uh what works for one person may not work for the other person so it's showing that you can't approach every situation exactly the same way and it's not completing drills or or, or such it's recognizing that how you approach a conversation you need to be aware of where the other person is at and what you're bringing to the conversation and how you approach that conversation. We're back to the thing of you can't treat a horse with a dickhead attitude. You have to understand where you're at. And it's the same with your family. You can't approach them the same way all the time. You have to forget about being the the, the, the trooper, the soldier, the problem solver, the A-type personality, and remember you're a person in a relationship and what does that other person need from you as well? And that's what horses show us is you can't be a dickhead period. What are some of the, um, the takeaways that you hear from the participants that you hear the most often? 
the biggest thing we hear is hope. And that's incredible. If hope is is the strongest uh, uh, value to take forward in your life, as long as there's hope, there's an opportunity to gain uh, the chance to overcome these injuries. And with that, remembering that we bring the spouse to the program as well. There's no sense taking an injured veteran, teaching him a new language or her, and sending them home where no one understands what they're saying. So that's why on the program, the spouses are there and they learn the same language. They also are treated as equals. Spouses are not support mechanisms. Spouses are just as messed up with this injury as the uh, veteran is as well. So with that, It's learning a shared language. It's learning how to have a conversation. And the biggest thing we hear the spouses talk about is, now I have a better understanding what is PTSD. And what are they bringing to the mix as well? It's not just the veteran. It's the spouse as well. And we're very concerned about that because on every program, and we only run with a maximum of six couples, every program, we have at least one suicidal veteran. Now we have suicidal spouses, and we're hearing about suicidal kids. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. And that's why we're focusing so hard on hope, on education, and learning uh, how to have conversations within your own family home. And that's the biggest thing that we hear from the feedback is hope. Now I understand more about the injury. Now I understand how to have a better conversation. And the big one, now I understand when we shouldn't have a conversation. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. And it's learning when and where that is uh, the best time for your particular situation. You see on social media all the time, uh, people need to learn that you don't have to attend every argument that you're invited to. (laughs) Correct. You know, and yet uh, we all see on social media, the people that attend every argument or, or start them all (laughs) or, or throw gas on the fire. Um, Because it just makes them feel important, I suppose. But uh, that's, it's not helpful. Um, there's been science and, and studies and, and statistics coming out more and more over the last little while supporting equine-assisted therapy. Uh, what, what, uh, what's the news on that front? We're uh, pretty excited uh, with our new family program. Uh, to give you an idea of that, family program and research and science and such just for the family program alone we have five phds involved and what's important about that is these individuals who are approaching the research in a scientific manner are working hard to gain the understanding of why is it that equine therapy and education has become so effective for so many people. And the studies are showing uh, with a larger number base that there is something very, very intuitive, very deep um, 
very broad and very specific all at the same time happening with people who get to work with others while working with the horses. And it has to do with understanding how the brain works. And the folks that we've got working with us are very much into neuroscience. And that's the basis of how we're going forward is understanding the neuroscience of what is happening within the brain, how that affects uh, the physical impact of the body, mentally, emotionally, physically, all of it together. So this whole new research project is, is going to take a few years. But, man, we've got a team of, of all these scientists researching, 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 following so that we can provide the best programs possible and demonstrate to the world of, of those who are going, yeah, that, that's sort of like chasing rainbows and hugging unicorns, which anyone who knows me is very well, that's the farthest thing from our mind, um, is that there's something very specific going on here, and it's working. Not for everyone. Have they there figured, no have they figured out the neurology of it? Have they figured out what's actually going on um, from a neurological perspective? Well, part of it goes back to, once again, Dr. Brenda Abbey's research showing that the human brain around horses produces dopamine. Now, it's not just horses that do that. I don't know. Go lick a Mexican frog. Go pet a rabbit. You know, Well, the Mexican frog, that's something different. That's DMT. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole so, so other thing, that, brother. You, you know what I mean? So, so other opportunities with other animals can produce dopamine as well. The difference being that horses are social animals just like people. They need that social interaction. The other thing is, is horses uh, operate just like people with pressure and release. So horses operate on the same brainwave as people, as it were, when it comes to emotion and reaction. The combination of that and what's happening to the human body while working with the horses has that effect that it brings people to a place where they're now able to learn something. If you are now receptive to new information and able to process that new information internally, mentally, physically, emotionally, that gives you new, I hate to say the typical term, tools to to move forward understanding your own injury and if you have a better understanding of your own injury and you have a better understanding of your spouse's injury and you've learned how that, to have the that two self, of you that self-awareness piece steve is massive and the self-awareness piece is the biggest part of being able to manage the injury and work around it and keep it in check to keep a leash on that dog, <laughs> you know, self-awareness is 100% the key. And that is uh, certainly something that I attempt to bring to the show is uh, helping people get to that point of self-awareness. I want to learn more about the, the pressure and release because uh, when I had Mike Rude on the show, uh, he was talking about that. And he also said the same, he echoed what you said. It, it was the first thing that gave him hope. Um, so 
what is the actual pressure to, that we're talking about? What sort of pressure is, is being applied? Like uh, energetic pressure, or are you talk about when you're riding the horse, it's a, is it a heel in the flanks? Like, what is this pressure and release? Could you tell me more about that? Well, for horses to move, you need to apply some pressure to get the horse to move in the desired direction. That can come across just simply how your face looks and how you carry your body. Horses are experts at reading body language, and if they see something that appears aggressive, they're going to move away from that pressure. Horses uh, want to know where they are in the pecking order or the chain of command. So they may apply pressure to you to try and push you around to see if they're the boss of you type of thing. That's basic pressure. Pressure can be related to, um, once again, the injured veteran comes home uh, in that Sergeant Major style, kicks the door open, says, hi, honey, I'm home. Let's go have a good time. Meanwhile, wife and kitties take one look and run for cover because what they see is anything but relaxed. The pressure being applied by that veteran coming home, as it were, is the, uh, I'm in charge, let's go do what I am tell you to do, uh, we're going to do it my way. So there's a lot of mental and physical pressure, just the way the person carries their body provides pressure, and that can shut down a conversation. And the veteran may not even be aware, and usually isn't being aware, of how strong they're coming across. They may think they're being cool, calm, and gentle, but they're scaring the shit out of the kids. That's what we're trying to help them understand, how they approach every situation. Are they approaching it by applying pressure and pressure and more pressure, demanding, um, just not being approachable? Whereas the release of pressure can do wonders within a relationship. Release of pressure, you might say, is just backing off and giving the other person the time to think, to process what's going on around them. And it's that giving the opportunity for the other person, instead of reacting to you, which is usually emotion, they have the chance to respond to you using logic. And it's so important because this looks different for every relationship. What is pressure and release in one relationship could be totally different in another relationship. So often so veterans are, are just completely unaware of the energy that they're bringing to a room. Um, one business meeting that I was in in particular, <laughs> the feedback I got after from, from the fellow who was my boss at the time says, uh, Mark, you were coming across kind of aggressive. I actually thought you were going to jump across the table at the guy. And I had no idea. I mean, uh, I just thought I was being attentive. I had no idea that that's, um, that's how I was coming across. And that's the thing. Uh, we, we have typically no idea that we're coming across aggressively if we're sitting, because you can sit still without any facial expression, without raising your voice, and still be aggressive as hell. And that was the case with myself. I just didn't realize it because we especially combat arms like yourself and myself, you were armored, I was infantry. So we have a different edge to us because we have a physical capability that other people just don't have. And uh, because of that, um, it's that confidence or awareness or, or 
or whatever it is that comes across in a room that we don't know that it's coming across in a room, but the people on the other side of the table sure as hell know. And they find it intimidating. They find it scary. Um, so if you can't ad- adapt to your environment, you know, improvise, adapt, and overcome, that's what we always say, right? But if you can't adapt to that environment, and I mean, you're not even aware of your environment, if you're not even aware that uh, of how you're affecting others, you can't adjust it. But with the horses, it just gives you such a beautiful way of, of seeing it, of seeing like, oh, <laughs> I am at a 10. I thought it was at a three. Nope, you're at a 10, dum-dum. <laughs> and uh, that's the gift of, of working with the horses for sure. But these lessons, um, would, if you do a follow-up three, four, five years uh, later with people, You've been around for 10 years now. Um, how well do these lessons tend to stick? Is that something that you've studied? Have you done like follow-up surveys uh, five, 10 years later? We're, we're fortunate that we're able to provide not just our basic uh, equine therapy program, which is phase one. We also have phase two where you come back uh, as a group of veterans or you come back as a group of spouses separately and that's where you actually learn how to ride and care for horses. And then we have phase three, once again, where you come back as a couple and we take you up into the mountains as a couple uh, with six couples once again. Out of that, out of the uh, self-feedback uh, that we had participants filling in and such and them coming back to us later, we're at about 93% of our participants are telling us that they use what we teach them either part of the time or all of the time in their daily lives. That's like 93% are saying that. Uh, and that's close to over 1,000 participants. So we know we're having a long-term effect on individuals. It's also important to understand we're not a couples retreat. This, this isn't uh, uh, couples therapy, as it were. This is therapy and education. And, you know, there are some people that shouldn't be together. That, that's just normal life stuff. And we're not going to encourage uh, a dysfunctional relationship by any means. Sometimes it's good for people not to be together. Well, you can't, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> Well, what, what we want to do is help people learn how to communicate effectively, especially when there's children involved, when a marriage or a relationship uh, is no longer the best choice for them. So we're hearing uh, that quite a bit. And the thing that sort of caught us off guard is when we announced our family program, how many of these veterans from 10 years ago, want to come back on a family program with their 20 and 30 year old kids. So when they're saying, I want to come back with my 30 year old son and daughter, you know, this is having a a definitive impact on our participants where it's so important for them to return with their kids. And, And that's where we're going in the future as well. And it's not just veterans, of course, it's first responders as well. So um, is it just the one location that you have in Alberta? We use a specific uh, facility and venue. 
with very specific facilitators. Uh, the reason for this is I'm sure anyone who's been in uniform realizes how often the Canadian Armed Forces has to deal with second-hand equipment, used equipment, poor maintenance, uh, shortage of parts, etc. So for us, we specifically found a five-star facility to run our programs at. And the owners of the facility are more than happy to shut down this multi-million dollar facility for three days so it's just our folks within this facility. Try and find uh, a barn or stables where they won't do that because their income comes from borders, you know, people keeping their horses there. Uh, And as you know, when it comes to our folks, it takes a lot of work perhaps to get them into the the mindset where they can speak openly for the first time about what's happening to them mentally, physically, emotionally, and such. And the last thing you want is some looky-loo civvy walk by and shut them down. So when we run a program, it's at a five-star facility. We're the only ones there. We have complete control over the facility. So we have our confidentiality and privacy. And then the same goes for the facilitators. It's uh, using our psychologists and our veteran and first responder mediators, uh, conflict resolution mediators. Um, It takes a lot of training to get them to understand our client group, if you want to call it that. It's understanding the veteran and first responder mindset, understanding that the way veterans and first responders attend to situations is very different than the average uh, Joe public, and, you know, walking the streets in, in Halifax or Saskatoon, etc. So we use a very specific facility. We also take people out of the city. Uh, the last thing we want is people to get to a place where they're feeling good and relaxed and then have to deal with rush hour traffic in Toronto or Calgary, etc. So we move away from the large centers. We stay away from the large bases on purpose. It's providing that environment that creates the best opportunity of a successful program. But, but your location, so it's, you have to come to Alberta in order to participate, or are you um, scaling it? Are you in other provinces? Right now, we're in Alberta. We have run programs in Ontario. We need to find the right facility with the right facilitators where we could either be in Ontario or the Maritimes uh, because we'd be saving funds if, you know, if you lived in eastern Canada, you could go to a, a program in eastern Canada, and if you're in western Canada, come to Alberta. Um, regardless, though, of where you reside, we'll bring you to us on our dime. We'll so, cover all of us. So let's say there's somebody listening right now, and they have the facility. They got the round pen. They got it all, uh, an indoor uh, equine arena. And they want to duplicate what you're doing. Uh, do you have a template where, like, would you help somebody get set up to do, to do what you're doing? It would. There's so many uh, underlying factors involved in that. It has to be the right facility with the right people, with the right facilitators, um, and. It, it, it's we see so many people out there attempting to do something 
And what's causing us great concern is if you remember, I mentioned this feel good stuff you get just by being with a horse. We're seeing a lot of people taking credit for that. It's the horse that's making them feel good temporarily and not the actual facilitator. Um, There's more that goes into this. Uh, Our programs also are educational. So we're teaching people um, how to have these conversations, how to resolve conflict, knowing when not to have a conversation. So it's not just being around the horse. There's an awful lot of education happening. And the challenge is to find the right facilitators able to do this. Um, And it's facilitators who understand it's not about them. There's an awful lot of people involved because it makes them feel good. And that's their priority. And keeping aware that, no, this is all about the participants. Participants come first regardless. Um, You're dealing with suicidal individuals, so uh, it has to be set up with the right qualified people. And finding the right qualified people has always been the challenge. It's not easy, and I understand. Um, There are certain things that are near and dear to my heart that I'm also very, very cautious of as far as... um, uh, even when I was a sales trainer, there was a, a certain sacred part of that um, that you got to get right. And if it's not right, it's it's going to be a hot mess. It's going to do harm instead of good, like can happen in any environment. If you have the wrong people involved, instead of doing good, you're going to do harm. And in the peer support world, uh, I have the exact same feeling that you do, Steve, where I'm very, very protective, protective of what is called, what qualifies as peer support and what does not, and what that peer support looks like and and what it should be. Um, Because there's many people in that role with that title that should not be. And, uh, And that does more harm than good because you don't want the idea of peer support damaged. You don't want the, the idea, the concept, the brand of um, can practice or any equine assisted therapy to be tainted. Unfortunately, you're working against quite a bit. Just watching uh, the Kaminsky method on, on Netflix uh, about uh, the addict daughter, uh, daughter. For Christ's sake, I even uh, put her in uh, equine therapy, the BS, you know, and so you have in Hollywood um, these very effective modalities trivialized and made fun of and mocked, and that is so unfortunate because the the types of things that you are doing literally save lives because they give hope and tools to live better lives. It's so important. And every time I see uh, it done wrong or see, see uh, people trivializing things that are good, um, it's, it's very unfortunate. And we're very well aware that our program's not going to help everyone. Uh, we've had to introduce a way of dealing with participants who, for whatever reason, uh, they're not ready to be on the program. It's just not working for them. And with that, it's, it's, it's important to understand. It's not that anyone's doing anything wrong. It's just not the right time, right place for those particular folks. 
And it's not that they're being difficult. It's not that they're being uh, challenging. It just be, they're just not ready or able to uh, participate in the way we need them on a program. Um, and that's just the reality of the injury. And, it, and we're open to just about any kind of therapy there is. Understanding what works for one person may trigger someone else. It's And that's what makes this injury so difficult is PTSD affects different people differently. There is no one magic solution. It, it's a lot of work understanding what's going on. And part of this, and, and you would understand from your own uh, experience, is you don't know what's actually going to be effective until you try it. And, and with that, uh, we're happy to see people trying different forms of therapy to recover from this injury, um, just be careful how you label it. Uh, There is no one-off cure. And it's the understanding that, yes, you can overcome OSI. That injury will always be there. The difference being is, does the injury control you or do you control the injury? And that takes a lot of work. And until recently, I would have agreed with everything you just said, every word of it. Uh, luckily, in my search for the better mousetrap, I have found modalities that are uh, right up there close to 100%. Um, that I'll talk to you about off air. Uh, and I encourage anybody to re-listen to episode 216, episode 216, because I'm now certified in that modality that has a lot of promise and a lot of hope. But even if with a magic wand, if you could go poof, you're, uh, you're no longer governed by your trauma you still have to learn the lessons to rebuild your life to build the new you and equine therapy absolutely is a big part of that journey if you have access to it um, try it give it a whirl you know if nothing else keep your feet moving there's a, a saying that we have often in in the peer support groups that if you're in hell keep moving <laughs> don't don't stand still keep moving and um and and try something and if it's not for you don't give up just just keep going and that's also though one of the challenges that we have in the support and healing community is the occasional person that is addicted to their injury and they're addicted to the idea and to the label of being an injured veteran. They like the status, um, maybe not consciously, but on some unconscious level. They don't want that taken away from them. They like the special status of being an injured veteran. It makes them feel special. In the States, they have a purple heart. You know, it's like, oh, look at my purple heart. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather just not be injured? But for some people, the answer is no. They prefer being injured. And, um, and they don't want to heal. So that's always going to be, there's not many of them out there, but I know you've seen them, Steve. I know you've seen them because I've certainly seen them and I've met them as well. So um, not everybody's ready for it. But for those that are, please try um, equine assisted therapy. And Steve, how do people find out more about you and how do they um, get a hold of you to to sign up? Uh, And just... It's actually quite easy. Uh, just sort of to tag on what you were saying, because we spend a lot of money on individuals, we don't chase after the injured. They have to come to us. Yeah, uh, They have to demonstrate to us, uh, even if it's reluctantly, 
um, the the desire to overcome the injury. When originally, when we first started, almost every phone call we we received was from the spouse, and the husband would show up. Uh, generally, and at that time, it was mostly the guys, and they'd sit there with their arms, arms crossed, crossed. And just you can look on your face. And out of that, we came to learn that you know what, we eat skeptics for breakfast. Bring it, uh, because we know there's going to be something good happen. And with that, I just want to sort of touch real quick on what the name can praxis means. Oh, please, uh, yes. Um, people often say, like, where does that come from? So to break it down, can practice, two words, can. Can stands for the Canadian can-do attitude. For example, during World War I, Canadians, as the colonials, weren't allowed to operate as their own identifiable army, as it was. Uh, and to help discourage the Canadians from thinking they could do anything, that's when the Canadians were tasked with taking Vimy Ridge. Uh, the French had tried it several times, the British had tried it several times, and the British sat there and said, Canadians, you think you can take it? Go ahead. So the Canadians said, hold my beer. And we bloody well took um, Vimy Ridge. And with that, it was the understanding that um, it, yeah, we can do what we need to do. I'll try that. So <laughs> trying to kill the phone. Then. So can stands for the Canadian can do attitude. We can do it. Praxis is Latin, which means to take theory and put it into practice. Long story short, can praxis means walk the talk period. And that's what we do each and every program. So how do people get a hold of us? They can do that by going to the website. They can contact us directly through the website at uh, canpraxis.com. They can send me an email, steve at canpraxis.com. And what we do is we set up a timing, have a phone conversation, explain how the program works, answer some questions. And then if people want to participate, they're more than welcome to uh, put their names on the waiting list and we move forward. Uh, something also to understand is we provide programs for veterans and first responders. For us, it's crucial to understand while there's a lot of similarities between veterans and first responders, the cultures are very different. And I go back to how uh, we've often been treated in uniform as second-class citizens. So with that, we recognize and respect the difference in these cultures. So one month, it'll be a veterans program. The next month will be a first responders program. Yeah, there is a lot of crossover between the two communities, but you're right. They are different. And within, say, Calgary Police Force, um, those that served in the military, they tend to kind of group together because they have just a different level of understanding of crisis and Different, you know, uh, people with a combat tour just have a different, they're much more comfortable uh, when it hits the fan than anybody else. And, uh, and you, you see them band together even within uh, most usually a police force, those that have uh, served in, in the combat arms that end up in, the, um, in, in a police force. They have their own little subgroups where, because the other people just don't get it. You know, and uh, so that's wise of you to to have it 
similar but not the same and to have them in their own individual groups. It's called cultural competence, as a friend of mine has said, and it's very, very important. But Steve, thank you so much for um, for sharing all of this. You're a very good public speaker, by the way, and uh, I appreciate you being on the show and joining me today. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Mark, thanks for your interest, your support. Thanks for everything you're doing. Uh, We want to actually, I go back to Walk the Talk. We want to publicly demonstrate what Walking the Talk looks like, working with other veteran and first responder groups where egos aren't the uh, obstacle. We're about understanding that we know our lane. We're very good in our lane, but that's our lane. And there's many more lanes to the left and to the right of us. And our job is to help these injured uh, veterans, first responders, families, children, relatives, loved ones, help navigate how to change lanes when required. There's nothing wrong with people changing lanes. We want to help them do that. And we will, with quality organizations and quality people like what you're doing, we're more than happy to help people move from one lane to another while staying in our own lane. That's our desire moving forward. Thank you for your service and for what you continue to do. Thank you so much, Steve, and please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Tremor Recovery Podcast. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.